Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Well, we did it. Welcome back. Episode 100. Yeah. It'll probably be our lamest one, though. Yeah. <laughs> I always wonder if we should like go back and listen to the first few, but then I think no. They, they probably weren't that good. Well, I don't know that it got any better. but uh, I don't know. I think I've gotten more funny. Eh, I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, so episode 100 we're releasing today. We timed it very well. Yeah. Because tomorrow's a big day. Well, it's the start of the... Prescription Drug and Heroin Conference in no, Atlanta. No, no, no. This no? is airing on Tuesday, remember? So oh. we speak tomorrow. Oh, now now I remember. Wow. See, this it is why me- it's maybe not gotten better. I <laughs> can't remember that we are not taping this live. Yeah, I I put my pants on backwards today, too. Things are declining. Oh, yeah. So anyway, tomorrow <laughs> we speak at the National... RX Summit. Yep. I so, think it's actually called the National Illicit Summit this year. Is it really? Or something like that. I didn't notice that it changed. It's changed every year. So anyway, biggest conference addiction one in the country. It, it was. I'm not 100% sure it still is. I'm assuming. You are quite the Debbie Downer today. I know. Oh my it, gosh, you guys. It's, it's snowing out. It's, it's, yeah, it looks like Thanksgiving or Christmas. But yeah. anyway, so... The last couple of years, this conference has been strictly virtual, which is, of course, not as fun. And this year, we finally get to go back. And although the last couple of years were supposed to be in Nashville, we are back in Atlanta this year. Yeah, and we actually, we spoke two years, was it two years ago or one year ago? We spoke virtually. last year virtually. Oh, I mean, oh. it's hard. I mean, we this do a lot third of Zoom. Time, fourth time speaking, third time live. Yeah, Zoom, you expect it like on, a, on our Echoes, but... To do a conference by Zoom was was particularly painful. No, it was. I mean, I think it. The feedback we got and the questions we got, well, yeah, I that, was like impressed with. But, but it's hard. You couldn't see anybody. I like to see people. So anyway, so if you happen to be in Atlanta and you happen to be listening to and this, you got nothing else to do. Just go international ballroom something e maybe eleven fifteen Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. Anyway, so what we thought we would do for this is. Episode 100, which is, you know, the big one is actually, this is technically our 101st because episode 00 was really our first. And that was a get to know the docs. Like, who are these people talking at us every week? Yeah. And so we're going to do just kind of an abbreviated, less like get to know it, but just more like what we're, what we're up to. Yeah. And kind of our thoughts about different things. You know, we get asked a lot about why are you doing this or how did you get into this and how have things changed? Like when we're talking to people, we often say, yeah, many years ago, this is not necessarily how I thought, but how even our own minds when it's come to addiction has changed. And I think that might help some people not, I don't know, maybe be more motivated to do the work or I don't know. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, I think we do get asked that a lot. It's like, what made you decide to do this? And for some people, it's things that maybe went on in their family or friends or kind of get some interest in addiction. And, and I, personally, for me, it was really none of those. I mean, there's addiction in every family, uh, certainly some addiction in my family. I'm 
on both sides. And I think that... But that's it, not your driving force. That's not what got no, you here. No, that's not what... I mean, it was just our opioid stewardship program that then uncovered all of those issues. And we had to do something, and we did. And it just got out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like... And you hate to say that. Like, it's just like a defaulted thing. Like, well, we were doing this, and then it turned into this, and so we felt like somebody needed to do it. Well, but it was more than that. Well, you find this, these situations, and you... I think what was so alarming and probably also disappointing was how our patients were being treated or not treated. And uh, I think that bugged us both and it made us right. push even harder. And I think just, I, I think you're right. And not even just our patients, but like everybody, you start, you start being aware of this population everywhere and almost get offended for them. Yeah. But well, I, I think just the fact that we couldn't give up. I mean, not everyone would have taken that. It wasn't just a total default. It was a default how we did it. But then I think it's now kind of become a beast all on its own. Well, and I think uh, probably our biggest goal out of all of this, at least that I would identify, was the lack of access to addiction care outside of metros. And and so really, if I think about the one driving force, it's been increasing the the providers who can at the minimum do uh, medication for opioid use disorder, but at the maximum, learn all of the things that we have we have offered for teaching, so that they can take care of a lot of different patients, especially patients with alcohol use disorder and uh, smoking, all those types of things, rurally. So, you know, and but also interesting with that is, you know, increased access to rural was, of course, our thing. But then it's also interesting how we've come through all this. It's there's not really access anywhere, even where there's addiction doctors everywhere in the corners and, you know, mm-hmm. in the cities, it's still a difficult getting access. Yeah. So currently, uh, some of the grant stuff we do is uh, only a day a week of our, well, it's probably more than a day you a week. You have like the noisiest chair today. I know this chair is noisy, but, you know, we're working in an addiction clinic, each of us, a couple of days a week at one of the bigger systems in the area and and then do a little bit of primary care, but it's those those grants that uh, we work on that, uh, you know, hopefully will really change things. Yeah. I mean, of course, the Echo. Y'all know about the Echo. If anybody wants to get involved in the Echo, it's still Katie K. Stangle, S-T-A-N-G-L, at stratushealth.net, or org, excuse me. <laughs> and that's, so uh, the Echo is still going on. Every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. Um, You're four, roughly. Over four years now. Yeah. Um, but I think, I, I don't know, but you know, we spent last year and we had a, we had to get to know the docs at one point last year too, about when we had started in corrections and that we have a grant to kind of go back and work on the access to care and increasing care for patients who are incarcerated, who are in jail. So county jails, so they can get MAT if they start withdrawing when they're in the jail and then get connected to a community provider and release. So Last year was still one of my favorite years yeah. ever because... Learned a ton. Learned a ton. And it was just like, if you were going to have a passion for addiction and, and patience, and this was the, <laughs> this was like Christmas morning for the, the types of people you get to meet and you just really get to learn and help. And so getting to go back into corrections is just super but, meaningful to me. But yet that whole thing was angrifying and that's not a word. Because we saw so many patients who really needed to have been in treatment, uh, never got that. 
Wow. And it ended up in jail. And uh, so many that, patients, uh, so many patients <laughs> in jail that, uh, that I wish uh, had, had been given a different path. And with that, my number one frustration of last week was a patient of mine stuck in that situation. And so we will have a podcast coming up shortly about decriminalization and, and, are there people who really don't deserve to go to treatment again, who should just go to prison because they're, they have, there's no hope for them. Well, yeah, it's that and, whole thing. When do you give up? And the it, answer's it, never, right? It's never. And yet I have a patient going to prison for three years and okay. I'm not going to get on that tangent, no. but that's what we're working on fixing. And so that's, that's one of our grants. Um, and we continue to do mentorship in small communities, which of course is the interplay with jails and with echo and it all. Well, and I actually look at Echo as kind of the, the flagship of all the things we do because it does connect everything. Correct. And I think that, you know, it connects us to the communities that are, have grant funding for um, the programs that we do. It, it connects, it will connect uh, the jail programs, hopefully. Um, it, it's just a way to connect all of these people, the, the students that we teach. Um, and of course, this, this is much like that. So with the students, let's just talk about that. Yeah. You know, we've obviously taught students for a long time in addiction and just in general and primary care and all that. What is your viewpoint on that now? Like as far as like we can still do the echoes and still do the teaching, but you were the one who kind of came up with this. We need to teach upstream before, you know, teach the students because they're starting their careers. Like, well, I think the smartest thing we ever did was, was teach PA students and a shout out to Augsburg. PA college, because I really think that the the first students that we gave a 16 hour curriculum to for addiction, they started working here in the last few months crazy. and they all were wavered. We, we did a, a 16 hour curriculum for the PA college and every one of them chose to get wavered and they are now working. And even if they're not in primary care, no matter what they're doing, they're able to handle this situation with buprenorphine, whether it's surgical, whether it's in the ER, whether it's in primary care. And so I, I think we, you know, the one goal to increase access, you know, if you think about it right now, there's six, 600 um, providers, I think, doing BUP, and probably half are really doing it. And so let's say there's 300 actually doing uh, Suboxone, or excuse me, buprenorphine in Minnesota. We just increase that by 10%. Right. So I, I think that, that the students, it, if they're yeah. doing it, yeah. And then we have the RPAP students, the Rural Physician Associate students. So as much as, you know, the, obviously the Augsburg students are out there already, but I also think the students, the, the RPAP students are in residency now. And with the residencies kind of picking up, you know, one of our students that we had as a, as a medical student is in a residency and even as a first year is kind of the most knowledgeable mm. in the entire residency just because she, I guess, got stuck with us. But, yeah. you know, and it's it's such a thing now that's happening in residencies and getting, you know, the, the residents all going up, you know, especially when primary care residents. These yeah. guys are all doing primary care or ER, urgent care. And so and I those, think that's a, that's a huge thing is that they also get to help mentor their other students yeah. too. And I think for people who don't understand the Rural Physician Associate Program is, uh, students that spend their their third year in a community in Minnesota, and they spend nine months there with the preceptor, and so they're they're literally spread out all over Minnesota. It's amazing how that map looks, and so our a, a strong percentage of those students actually go back to those communities. Actually, in Little Falls, we had two people that had done RPAP there. They come back, so boy, what if we could put some of those those you know students back in those in those places? I think that's the key. 
That's awesome. So, and actually, I don't know if you know, you probably don't know this. One of our students that we had for a rotation went to Michigan and helped start their I, MAT program. I, of course I knew that. Well, I just got a note from him and he was saying how they're really getting going. It was exciting. So, but he was really pushing for it because he thought it was the right thing to do because of us. I love that residency, yeah. by the way. I had interviewed there. That's uh, on the Uber, the, the Uber bars. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, Evan. Evan, you're the greatest if you're listening. And Kurt wants you to bring back some Uber bars with, with you when I've you come never, back. I've never heard of that. I told you about I know you week. did, but I'm just saying. You can only get them on the Upper Peninsula of Michigan for those of y'all who don't know, although we have a great, amazing group of people in Michigan who have like totally. And okay, let's just talk about that right now. The boot camps. Yeah. You know, we've gone around and we've gone to Alaska and done a two day like education primer kind of deal. We went to Michigan and this is why I just had to give that shout out to Michigan. Went to Michigan literally five seconds before everybody in the country got shut down from COVID the beginning of 2020. And in not even 18 months, the amount of providers providing buprenorphine and taking care of this patient population and the access is ridiculously amazing. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, to their credit, uh, the people of Michigan that had this idea to to have that boot camp, and you know that we had, they had, I think they saw us speak somewhere, didn't they? Maybe in Atlanta. Maybe in Atlanta. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, but they brought in people from all over, and this is just really a, the power of education. When when these physicians heard the stories and heard what, what a difference they could make, man, oh man, they just rocked it over there and and put a lot of providers all over the UP. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was so good to hear, actually. Okay, and so what do you I'm glad feel? we could be a part of that. That was amazing. Now that we're, you know, it's been a, a year and a half or so since we were in primary care last. And, of course, we started this while in a primary care clinic six years ago. It seems like forever ago. Mm. Um, the MAT stuff, anyway. And that was kind of always the vision is being able to do this in primary care. And that's most of who we mentor. And so... You know, we kind of became addiction boarded and do that. But what does it feel like to be back in a primary care clinic? Well, you know, it's funny because uh, we both have had a lot of our old patients come back very quickly. Um, and I, I think I, you know, I really enjoy that again. Uh, a lot of my patients uh, with addiction issues also come uh, to that clinic. But it's uh, it's fun. It's fun to see uh, people you took care of for literally 20, for me, 25 years. I think yeah. one of the cool things is, is, you know, it's obviously a different primary care clinic than we were in before. And it's just, yes, it's seeing all these patients. Like, I think I've spent way too much time in with every one of them trying to catch up and figure yeah. out what's been going on in the last year and a half. And all these kids that I delivered are now like way old, but, um, you know, still toddlers, but still yeah. way older than the last time I saw them. But yeah. also getting to a whole new group of clinic people, a whole new clinic kind of accepting of this patient population. Yeah. And it's and boy, they have uh, really done a great job there. So, really, really enjoyed that. I don't know about you, but uh, I just have found it uh, way more fast paced than I remember. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Compared to the oh addiction my gosh. clinic. Oh my gosh! The addiction clinic, you get to spend so much time with patients, and uh, I love that. It's mm -hmm. uh, and in primary care, you know, boy, there's lots of phone calls, lots of. The labs, the things going on, people calling. <laughs> kind so of you for, I forgot. Oh my gosh! And I, mean, I, did, I did primary care for 25, 30 years, and uh, I forgot how chaotic it can be. I keep thinking, oh my gosh, how did I ever get twenty notes done and saw twenty patients on one day, and I can't even get like half of that done right now? Yeah. But so the addiction clinic, you know, 
it, it is a different, like being a specialist kind of still feels surreal to me. Um, but it almost is an empowerment thing, like where I yeah. feel like I've been telling people I'm an addiction doctor and it's been a couple of years of actually being that, but to actually be in that position and actually feel Yes, I do know these things. I should probably, you know, at least see a copy of your addiction boards to make sure you really passed. Just saying, but, you know. Y'all, just, he just wouldn't even look at his own score. I had to look him his score up for him because I, I got my pass like six hours before he found out he passed. They were still trying to figure out how they could help him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if What if we shift the curve this way? I was in a closet with the light out. No, but it wasn't that bad. Okay, yeah. so I want to say one thing about our addiction clinic because I just I just love it because it really the the change that's already starting to happen and just how people have embraced what we have done and are like wanting to just even do more and do better and em- embrace this population has just been super duper exciting to me. Yeah, and we have great partners and great nurses and uh, it's just I think it's going to be a big thing. I think it's going to be uh, really great and. I think getting uh, being able to help other parts of the system uh, with uh, questions and problems. I, I just love that. I love that whole idea. So, so one thing I wanted to to kind of ask you is, you know, sitting in this addiction clinic and kind of seeing how things have evolved. And I told you we we're going to talk about this, but but one thing, and a lot of people have noticed this just in periphery. Um, you know, obviously we both do the the MAT or MOUD for the opioid use disorder patients, but it seems like over the last, I don't know, while, you've really kind of embraced, like you just mentioned, the alcohol use disorder patients. Yeah. Um, I tend to go more the, the meth use disorder patients, and it's almost like it just has self-selected that way, in a way. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I just think what do you Tell me what you love about that patient population. Uh, you know, I just think it's, it's, um, it's just so treatable. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, often when patients, when you sit down and you talk to them and, and again, you know, the whole genetic side of that, where they see this in their family and they see this, these things in themselves and, and, uh, they really want to want to turn the boat around and they work hard. And, um, I love the fact that there's just so many meetings they can go to, you know, I think that often with our, uh, OUD patients, they, you know, the NA meetings aren't, sometimes is good or they don't like them as well. Uh, but I just think there's so many great groups that, uh, that people can go to for, for, for alcohol as well. So I like that. And I, I don't know, it's, it's just something about it. I think there's so many options that we use now too, which makes it fun. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't think there's a part of addiction I don't enjoy. It's just interesting you, to I, me though, because it seems like yeah. that population tends to go towards you and I tend to... Yeah, I don't know why that would be, but... I tend to attract the patients with meth. Yeah, don't know. But, yeah, we take what comes, I guess. Okay, so thank you for asking me, but why do I think the meth patients all end up with me? Oh, I was going to ask you that. No, you weren't. <laughs> I was going to say, why do you think that is, Dr. Bell? Okay, you see we're taping this at old person bedtime, so that's why it hurts a little bit. Yeah, I was just tired today. Pretty sleepy. You know what I think I love about, and I, I I do I prefer patients with meth use disorder to patients with alcohol use disorder. I mean, I like seeing them all. It's fun, and like you said, every part of addiction. But there's something about patients with meth, and I think this is where it really became a fascination, like favorite of mine when we were in corrections. Mm-hmm. And it's all the trauma. Yeah, I mean, we you, I mean, you can go back and listen to these and. 
I love talking about childhood experiences and trauma and how to help people who have trauma. And yeah, I think that's harder for me to relate to because your dad was a state patrolman. Yeah, and it's like things, you know, there's, you know, I just didn't, there was not a lot of trauma. I mean, matter of fact, there was very little trauma in my life growing I up. I think you said you had a dog die once. Uh, that was, uh, you know, and, and the fact was, you know, my, my family, even, and this is amazing, but I never went to a funeral till I was in my deep 20s because everybody in my family lived forever. You know, it's like, yeah. and so there was no, uh, there was no, no real trauma other than, yeah. So I think it's yeah. a really interesting, like, dichotomy, though, because... It really shows that environment you grew up in, but yet also there's the genetic component, but you know, you had this modeled family and this modeled coping skills and it just, but just, yeah, there were, there were certainly, I mean, there was certainly addiction. I think, and again, I think there's addiction in every family and there was some on the periphery of my family that I was aware of, but not, uh, you know, in my house or, you know, nothing that I experienced that was difficult. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was it probably couldn't have been more calm. Leave it to be. <laughs> yeah, leave it to be. Sadly, I mean, I wasn't emancipated when I was when I was sixteen. So no. Yeah, and that's. I think that's where I don't know. Maybe it's. And I've heard patients say this to me: is that like you seem to get it, and you know, I I had all, my life was trauma. Like I am, I prefer chaos and trauma. I know how to survive in that world when calm and. Leave it to Beaver. I'm just like I can't handle it. It's too much anxiety waiting. Like just it just feels uncomfortable to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, emancipation kind of does it. Yeah, just past the 23 anniversary of my mom dying. Really? Just right before the uh, yeah. And see, I, and see, in comparison, my my grandmother died at 100, almost 101, just uh, five years ago. So yeah, parents in their 80s. That's a bit of anxiety I have, by the way. Yeah. Like I'm almost to the age my mom was when she died. Yeah, well, I mean, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of people talk about that. that. Right. I just had a guy who mentioned that, that his father died at the same age he was, one of my patients. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I get that. So, so is there one thing you've learned the most? Or if you could go back to yourself six, mm-hmm. seven years ago, when whether it was the stewardship thing started, when we just started watching the, the prescriptions, or when we really started doing our MAT, is there one thing that you're just like, can't believe I said that, can't believe I did that, or that you would tell your younger self? Yeah, I mean, I I just clearly uh, did not understand opioid use disorder 10 years ago or addiction, right? I mean, I think my interactions with patients were more, uh, you know, derogatory. I, I don't think I, you know, there were dr- you know, drug-seeking and, you know, it was a different, it, and it was. It, it was, again, growing up in a high patrolman's house, I looked at drugs as just, wrong. I didn't look at that. I looked at it as a choice, I think, for a long time. And I think I think education, uh, it's amazing what education has done to, to change how I think uh, completely. I mean, that's a 180. And I don't know if you've had quite the same experience as me. Yours, I think you were probably much more, what's the word, open-minded. But I love that you can own that. I mean, we've said yeah. it in, in front of people a thousand times, yeah. but that you know, we're not afraid to say at one time we thought buprenorphine oh. was a drug for a drug. Yeah. Like we thought abstinence was the only way, but didn't, didn't get it. And then we can thank Atlanta for that too. But, but you know, now when we talk to people and we just had this conversation with somebody about, um, you know, some of these things and, and I couldn't say to that person, well, what you're, you know, you're think that you're not thinking about this the right way. 
because mm-hmm. I thought about things right. that way. And I think that and helps. So it's not for me to really judge. It's it's for us to teach. Right? I think my viewpoint was I didn't have the same black and white, like drugs are bad, because I lived with them for two years. Like they were in the house I lived in in high school. They were everywhere. I mean, if I didn't drink or use drugs, like there was something wrong with me. And I didn't, but it was there. And so I just kind of always took this thing in life about I'm going to spite everybody who said I couldn't. And the drugs just fit that. And so it was like, I I was always hesitant because that just was my trauma was having that. And I think the more I have learned also, it's like, well, there's the disease component. So it wasn't that these people did all this to me because they chose to, it was, this is what happened due to their disease. Well, and I think too, this whole disease thing, uh, you know, before I really, before we really explored the neurobiology and began you know, really researching that before the uh, addiction boards and t- teaching it. I think I, I struggled with that a lot uh, until you really understand the neurobiology. And then you go, yeah, this is, this is so clearly a disease. And, uh, but I did, I, I think I struggled with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you did, but I, when no, people would say that early on, I'd be like, uh, I don't know. It's really a hard concept. And now when I say it, people go, huh, I don't know. They're like, mm, Heather, can you explain that? Yeah. How do you think that is? Kurt, but- explain the neurobiology. Heather? <laughs> okay, so- I want to finish with one thing just quickly. This is important. People always, you know, when we were doing a lot of advocacy stuff, and hopefully we can again because I love, you know, politics, you don't. But it's, they always want stories. So, I mean, obviously, de-identified, HIPAA, whatever, but your success story, like what is the person or people or patient or kind of patient that like, this is why I do what I do? Oh, I I think it would clearly be the multiple patients this year who uh, got married, uh, are getting house, either are getting a house or have a house and are got their jobs back. And there's many of them. And um, I hate to like just come up with one because it might be obvious, but I, I just think that that to me, it's like when people come in and say, guess what I did? It's like, what? I, I just bought a house. And I just, last week, one of my patients, before he came, told the nurse, called and said, told the nurse he had a surprise for me. And I love uh, that. yeah, and he's one of our favorite patients. And he had this surprise for me. And when I came in, he just couldn't even hold it. He, uh, he was getting married and having a baby. And it was just, he, he was, I've never seen him like that. It was just a, a, an epic moment. Mm-hmm. So, and you've had many of those, right? Yeah. I mean, you're obvious knows who they are. Yeah. That's listening to this. I mean, obviously we all know who my obvious one is, you know, yeah. I, we've learned so much together that patient and I, and then you get there, save the date in the mail and you cry your eyes out like a yeah. blubbering middle school girl. And, that's why you do it. I think and I'm going to go to answers, a couple weddings this, this I, year. Oh, I'm going to get emotional thinking about this person again. But this mm-hmm. was the, obviously, the one who I've learned the most from because it's everyone always asks, well, how many times do you give them? And we got to ask this question last yeah, week. we did. How many chances? How many chances? And There's this n- is probably the patient I have almost probably given the most chances. And we just have just rolled with it and we've learned yep. and... Yeah, it's uh, there's not a number. I'll say that now. Uh, did I have it's, a number before? Probably did. Uh, uh, early on, I think I probably had a number. Now, you never stop trying. You keep trying. So that's my anyway. that's my 
point of the day is that you never quit. Just yeah. keep going. And that one patient is proof. So, Amen. Okay. So with that, we have some other good topics coming up, promise. Um, we mentioned Dan from Maine the other day in a shout out and said we were going to get to his topic. He actually emailed us and said, thanks for the shout out. Can't wait. So yeah, thanks, Dan, for listening. And all the people we have, we have to say this, we keep forgetting. Australia? Yeah, Australia. Australia is huge in our world, which yeah. I love. Yeah, we just... Uh, we just passed 32,000 downloads, but it's, you know, the, the I got one topic that I'm going to be doing that I pulled together that we'll do, and that's on buprenorphine and benzos. Uh, when you're treating somebody with for opioid use disorder with, uh, with buprenorphine, what about the benzos? Can they take them? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an interesting topic. And next week is about the need for doing MOUD in the emergency department. Ooh, Thank something you. we want. All right. All right, with that, hopefully we will have some really awesome new up-to-date things that we get out of this amazing conference because it's just mind-blowingly smart people everywhere. And our Echo should be filled with them, hopefully. And yeah, so thanks everybody for making 100 episodes super fun. And keep letting us know if there's topics you want us to talk about or board things or whatever. All right, thanks so much for listening. Yes, so the Addiction Connection Podcast at Gmail. Why can't I just breathe when I feel